back there in two weeks. We'll have our little break today, and then we'll have the missions conference next weekend. And so in two weeks, we'll be back with Joshua and ready to see the walls of Jericho come down. But I wanted to take this opportunity as we're approaching the missions conference. And while we're in this season where we're making faith promise pledges for the year, to talk a bit about giving and generosity. And so one of the very best places in Scripture, and there are many, that we could turn to to talk about giving and generosity would be two chapters in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9. Now, the whole of those two chapters is fantastic and well worth your attention as it relates to the subject, but we're just going to look at nine verses at the beginning of chapter 8. And so I want to give you a little roadmap of where we're going because we've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So here's our little roadmap. We'll throw it up on the screen. Uh, obviously, we'll read the passage, and then I want to give you some context, both the Corinthian context and the Orangeburg context. Okay? Then we're going to look at a good example. We're going to look at the best example. And then we're going to move beyond the examples. And I'll explain that in a minute. And then finally, we're going to look at the struggles because, y'all, it's hard, right? Being generous and giving, those are tough topics. So that's where we're going. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the eagerness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. We thank him for it this morning. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh God, would you help us with a topic that is often stepping on our toes and a little uncomfortable when we talk about our wallets and our checkbooks. But God, there's a great need to because those things are so bound up with our hearts. And so, Lord, would you bring the, the power and the weight of your word and of your gospel and of your grace to bear on each and every one of us this morning? Would you reveal the truth of your word and would you use your word to change us all? For your glory and for Christ's sake, we pray these things. Amen. Please be seated. 
So first, the context. We need to get up to speed about what's going on here because we haven't been in 2 Corinthians. We don't know exactly what's been going on here. Paul has been asking the churches that he's been a part of, that he's started, that he's ministering, and he's asked them to take up a collection to give to the Christians who are in Jerusalem because the Christians in Jerusalem have been struggling. They've been experiencing the normal struggles of living in an occupied land uh, and the persecution that that entails and, and the marginalization that comes with that. But to top all of that off, they've also been experiencing famine. So they're in need. And so Paul wants his churches to send aid. Number one, just because that's the right thing to do. When, when our brothers and sisters are in need, we ought to help them. But he's got a second reason specifically here. He wants these Gentile Christians that he's been ministering to to realize the debt that they owe to their Jewish brothers and sisters in the Lord. He speaks of this in in Romans 15 where he's also mentioning this collection. And so uh, uh, Romans 15 starting in verse 25, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. That's an interesting take that Paul's got on this. So that's the intent of this special offering, this designated offering, if you will. He first mentioned it to the Corinthian church back at the end of his first letter. We're not going to turn there, but you can note that it's 1 Corinthians 16, the first few verses, he mentions this collection. So they've known about it for a while, and it would appear that they agreed to participate and maybe even began to start making these weekly collections. But if we look at today's passage in verse 6, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So apparently, they didn't finish what they had started, and so that's part of what Paul's trying to do here is get them to to make good on this pledge that they made, if you will. They hadn't followed through. Uh, And so there's there's our Corinthian context. And so this is probably as good of a point as any to make a segue to the Orangeburg context. Why would we be looking at at these verses now? I mentioned to you that I wanted to address this because it's faith promise pledge season, right? We're making our our faith promise pledges. And I know that most of you are fine with that, right? You're down with the faith promise pledge. That's all good. But I know that some of you must have some issues with faith promise for a variety of reasons, okay? And and I know this because uh, we are far from usually 100% participation of our members when it comes to faith promise, right? And that's for a variety of reasons. Um, And so I just wanted to address a few of those reasons, just practically speaking, before we dig into our text. Some of you are pledge-phobic, okay? Um, Many, you may even be participating in the giving to faith promise, right? You just, uh, I don't know about this pledge business, right? You've got an allergy to making pledges. Perhaps you fear that you'll end up like the Corinthians and you won't make good on your pledge, 
right? And then the church is going to send somebody after you, right? And while we can't send Titus, we could probably send Bob Beckett, right? But no, see, that's just it. We don't do that, right? We don't do that. We don't send anybody to talk to you about your pledge. Your pledge is between you and the Lord. And you're trusting Him to provide it for you. And so when He does, then fantastic. That's awesome, right? But if for some reason He shouldn't provide for your pledge, right, that's His business, That's not our business at the church. That's not the mission committee's business. So that may be one reason. I think another reason might just be that you don't understand exactly what it is that we're doing and calling you to do and and how the funding of missions works uh, at Trinity, especially if, if you're some of the newer ones. From her beginning, it's been in Trinity's DNA to be an ardent supporter of missions. You know, and the, and the original aspiration, I think I've heard several folks mention, was to end up at the place where, where 50 cents of every dollar that came in went back out in, in mission and ministry and outreach. Okay? Now, we're not there yet, but you might be surprised where we actually are. It's pretty encouraging. For 2016... 38 cents of every dollar went back out to the mission field, to ministries, to outreach. Now, that's encouraging. And and I'll tell you, frankly, it's uncommon among churches. So how do we get, how, how 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 do those 38 cents of each dollar come about? Well, roughly half of that comes from the general fund. And roughly half of that comes from faith promise. So in the budgeting process each year, all the operating expenses are, are calculated and figured out. This is what we need to make the church run. And then an additional percent of that total is added to the budget for missions giving. Right? Uh, at least in years, recent years, that's been 15%. I think, though I didn't double-check my numbers, I think for 2017 it's actually 16%. Okay? And then the rest of that is made up from... Faith promise. And it varies year to year what the percentage makeup is of that total missions budget. But in order for us to support all of our missionaries and ministries that we'd like to, it takes both. It takes good giving to the general fund so that that percentage can be met, and it takes good giving to faith promise. And for 2017, we've got a little bit smaller budget than we've had in years past. So it's really, if we're going to maintain our giving to our missionaries and our ministries, it's going to take a banner year for faith promise. So that's a little bit of the nuts and bolts about how it works. A few other practical things that you might want to... uh, Good, we're already up on the slides. I forgot about those. Uh, A couple of other practical things. Faith promise giving is above and beyond your normal giving, your, your, your tithe, if you want to use that language. Um, and so I want to time out briefly here to say there is so much that I would love to say about the tithe. Okay? But that's not what this sermon's about. All right? That's not what this text is about. I really, really want to go there. But suffice it to say this. I'm just going to leave you with this because here's my thinking on the tithe. All right? As Christians, we're not required by law any longer to give the tithe. 
But I think the tithe is an excellent starting point as a guide to our giving. Okay? Now, if that rubs some of you the wrong way, come see me afterward. I would love to talk to you about this because I believe pretty strongly about this and pretty passionately about this. So that's all I'm going to say about tithe. Faith promise giving is above and beyond your normal, regular giving. Now, it's also could be, should be, a little bit surprising, your faith promise giving. It, it could be of an amount that is, that is surprising. I think that's what was going on here with these Macedonians. Okay? It, look at verses 3 through 5. Right? It says, they gave according to their means. Okay, well that's expected. And they gave beyond their means of their own accord begging us to participate, and this not as we expected. See, there was something, there was something surprising about their giving. There was something unexpected about it. And here's where I want to press you a little bit with your faith promise thinking. Do we really view it as a faith promise? As in it's going to take faith on your part to actually pledge that amount. So, so faith being the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I would encourage you, I'd challenge you even, to not look at your faith promise like, all right, well let me look at my budget and let me see what I can afford to give. That's not a faith promise, but looking and saying, hmm, what would even be a little bit beyond what I could afford to give? What would be an amount that, I, that if I pledged it, the only way I should really be able to meet it is if, if the Lord provides for that? Now, is this putting the Lord to the test? Yeah, I think so. I think it's putting the Lord to the test. It's not a foolish test. Right? It's not a new Mercedes we're after. It's the expansion of His kingdom, something that we already know He wants to happen. And so, yeah, it's putting the Lord to the test. But friends, it is not foolish by any regards. Make your pledge... Watch as God provides it. Sometimes He'll provide it. This is another question. Well, I don't understand exactly how this is supposed to work. Well, sometimes God will provide through unexpected means. Right? Surprising and unexpected means. Shay and I can testify to that. Several different instances. Okay? Uh, through uh, a bonus at work or, or a surprising commission or maybe even a raise. Uh, an unexpected inheritance. Um, a tax refund you didn't know you were getting or it was a lot bigger than you thought. Right? Plenty of ways that the Lord can provide it in unexpected ways. But there are also a lot of ways that are less miraculous and less glamorous that the Lord can provide. Okay? Maybe you come to the place where you decide, you know, I really don't need that triple platinum cable package with 700 channels. You know? Maybe I could get by on the regular platinum and only 200 channels. Right? Make a few lifestyle changes like that and the savings over the course of a year 
This is a pretty substantial faith promise right there. Right? So, th- so there are more ways to skin this cat than just waiting on this windfall to come out of the sky. It still may do that. But there are other ways that we could arrive at that. He could supernaturally work in our hearts to help us not need as much stuff and free up our money just as well as he could supernaturally do something else. All right, so those are some practical things. I hope those are helpful. But what I really want to do now is dig into this passage a little bit more. That's really what we're here for. Because our big problem is that we need a generous heart if we're going to give it all. We need a generous heart if we're going to give in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and brings glory to him. So we're finally now to number two on your outline if you're following along in the worship folder. We've got a, a good example here when it comes to having a generous heart. So, so the Macedonians, and if you're wondering, Macedonia is just a region, and it, it uh, includes cities such as Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica. Right? It includes places that have been suffering. It, bad affliction that would include persecution and extreme poverty. Look at verse 2. Right, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Notice in verse 4, they had to beg to participate in this collection. They had to beg to participate. I, and I don't know, perhaps Paul had overlooked them, or maybe he'd even discouraged them from participating because they were so poor. Right? It could have been, hey guys, we've got this collection, but, but look, I understand your circumstances. I understand the dire straits that you're in, and, and it's okay. It's okay if you can't participate. But they weren't having it. They said, no way. If our brothers and sisters are in need, then we're in. Count us in. Count us in. Y'all, that's a, a pretty amazing Example, And that's why Paul mentions them to the Corinthians, right? Because the Corinthians, who, by the way, weren't in extreme poverty and weren't undergoing the extreme affliction as the Macedonians were, right? He brings them up. He says, "Uh, hey, Corinthians, check out our buddies over in Macedonia, right? If they can participate, hmm. And as good as that example is, Paul has an even better one. The best one, in fact. If the Macedonians were an example because of their extreme poverty, this best example is an example because of extreme wealth. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Y'all, this is one of those, you should memorize this verse. This is one of those gospel in a single verse things that is just wonderful to have in your pocket to explain the beauty and the glory of the gospel. One little verse, 18 or 20 words or so, easy. So Jesus sets aside voluntarily everything. So, of course, that makes me think of Philippians 2, right? Because the, there are these verses in Philippians 2 that so beautifully get it, what Jesus did in this. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the horrendous death of the cross. Y'all, no one, no one has given more than Jesus. We could all give every last dime we have and it wouldn't begin to compare. You could even lay your life down for someone. You could sacrifice your life for someone and it wouldn't compare because you didn't have the same starting point that Jesus did. No one has given more than Jesus. He's the best example. But, but listen carefully. At the end of the day, an example is not enough. At the end of the day, we've got to move beyond the example. Examples to follow are nice. But they're not powerful. They're not full of life-changing power. Because, see, our problem is not just that we don't know what we need to do, which is to be generous givers. The problem is our hearts are not generous Our hearts by nature are not hearts that love to give and to give generously and sacrificially. So it's going to take more than an example. It's going to take transforming grace. And if we're paying attention, that's exactly what Paul is doing in this passage. Verse 1 of this passage. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. That's what we want you to know about. That's the thing Paul is focused on and what he wants the Corinthians to see. God's transforming grace. In the unlikeliest of circumstances, God's grace is at work and it creates generosity where you would least expect it. Verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace... Also, you see, the Corinthians, if you know 1 Corinthians at all, they had some struggles, right? They had some pretty big sin struggles. It seems maybe they're getting on the right track. It seems maybe that they're growing a bit now, that they're beginning to excel, that they're beginning to bear fruit. And generous giving is another fruit that gospel grace produces. Verse 8. I say this not as a command. Paul's not bringing down the hammer and saying, you've got to participate in the Jerusalem faith promise. Right? He's not doing that. He can't do that from Scripture. But what he can say is, hey guys, here's an opportunity to prove that your love is genuine. Here's an opportunity to show a generous heart that is fruit of gospel grace. Here's an opportunity for you to provide evidence that God's at work inside of you changing your heart. And y'all, here's the bottom line. Here's how grace actually changes us. When we come to grips with the fact that Jesus did give up everything, that Jesus did become poor, that He died in our place and He paid our debts, 
when we get a hold of the fact that He did that for us and that He loved us enough that He did it willingly, He wanted to do it because He loves us so much. Y'all, to be loved like that is absolutely life-changing. It will absolutely change you from the inside out. Now, with that being said, that don't mean it's easy. That don't mean we still don't struggle mightily. And so I want us to finish with a few struggles. I've picked out four from the passage that I think a lot of us will resonate with. And if they do resonate with you, go ahead and be thinking about bringing them to the table in just a few moments. Bringing them in the way of a specific cry of help to the Father. Oh God, would you by your grace help me in one or more of these areas? The first one is that many of us are not starting with grace like Paul starts with grace. So so verse 1, he does not say, Hey, Corinthians... I want you to focus on how generous these other people are and you're not. No. No, that's not it at all. He says, I want you to know about the grace of God. And so if we are trying to be generous in our own strength, if we are trying to change our hearts by willpower, we will fail every single time. Because generosity is a fruit of of gospel grace. It's born by the Spirit at work inside of us, changing us from the inside out. So there's the first thing that we, first reason we might be struggling with this is that we're doing it in our own strength and we're not looking to His grace. Second thing, self preservation is the default of the human heart. One of many, but it is a default of the human heart. We are so very good at looking out for number one. And so think about the Macedonians. Right? If ever there was an example of, uh, I, I can't give to this. I'm already struggling to pay the bills. You know? If, if I give over here, uh, what, what, what if the car breaks down? What if this happens? What if that happens? But, If by God's grace we trust that we do in fact have a good, good Father who cares and provides for us better than the lilies and the sparrows, then all of a sudden we're free to give. Y'all, we're free. Even in adversity. And so the third one is closely related. Y'all, we're not very good at finding joy in adversity. But that seems to be something that the Macedonians excelled in. Look at at verse 2 again. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of of generosity on their part. Y'all, what an unlikely equation. Poverty 
plus joy equals generosity. Affliction plus joy equals generosity. That is an unlikely equation, but y'all, it works. It works every single time. But only this. Only when we come to the place that we realize that God's grace is far more often going to change us than it's going to change our circumstance. That just kind of seems to be God's pattern of working more often than not. He's going to change us. He's going to get us through rather than around the adversity, the affliction, the trial. Finally, and this one comes from verse 5. Y'all, our, our hearts are divided. Our hearts are very often divided. Look at verse 5. Uh, so they gave, they gave generously. It was not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Does the Lord truly have first place in your heart? I know that we all want to say yes. I know that we do. But do our lives bear that out? Do our lives bear that out? Or have we let other things creep in? Things that do divide our hearts. Have we let the need for security... Right, the security we might feel with, with a bank account balance at a certain point. Have we let that creep in and divide our heart? Have we let the joy that we think that we will have if we finally purchase this thing that we're saving up for, have we let that creep in and divide our heart? Now, we will never have generous hearts until the Lord by His grace changes us. So I want you to think about these things, if these have resonated or if the Holy Spirit's already plunked something down on your heart right away and it's something different but you know He's got you. Y'all, bring that to the table in just a few moments. Come in faith, come expecting to receive grace from our communion with the Lord Jesus And ask Him. Put Him to the test in a specific area of your growth and of your heart. Say, Lord, by Your grace, change this. Change this. Give me a generous heart. Let's pray together. Oh, Father.